Hey listeners, thanks for joining us this morning on this episode of The Weekly Call. We want you to think about something as you progress through this episode. How important do you think planning is? Do you take it seriously? Are you an active planner? And as of today, when you are listening to this episode, open up your calendar and see how far in advance your life is planned out. Once you do that, you'll be more than ready to sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of The Weekly Call and recuperate all the value there is to get here. Thanks so much for joining us. So we can turn on the stress response just by thought alone. We can think about our problems and turn on those chemicals. That means then our thoughts could make us sick. So if it's possible that our thoughts could make us sick, is it possible then our thoughts could make us well? The answer is absolutely yes. You're listening to the Weekly Call Podcast with Austin, Hammer, and John. Welcome. It's enormously important that you do have the right friends. If they make you a better person than you otherwise would be, that's the ultimate gift. It deals for the most part with success. It deals with people who you started your life off with and what success does to them. People look at you strange saying you changed, like you worked that hard to stay the same, like you're doing all this for a reason. Remind yourself, this fight that you're in, this is what will make you stronger. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of The Weekly Call. We have Amar out in Etobicoke, Ontario. Hello. John out on a, I think he's on a golf course in Kelowna, BC at the moment, unless he's oh, elsewhere. In North Van. In North Van, geez. And, uh, and Austin out here in Elmer, Quebec, in my new place. So uh, it's, it's pretty fun to be living in an apartment uh, where I'm, or li- living in a new apartment where I'm from. Uh, not living in a different city during the winter for the first time in, in seven years. Dude, how many years. places? Every time we talk, you're in a different city. What yeah, I mean, the last, the last couple of weeks homeless? have been a bit... I am, actually. I have a confession to make. Uh, I, I need to talk to you guys about something. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm not homeless. I needed to be... Uh, it's honestly just been around Wi-Fi. So this week, uh, we were supposed to have Wi-Fi installed, but this is like a new building. Like It just got finished being built in August. And uh, it's currently off the grid because they haven't connected the power yet, believe it or not. That's how behind they are. So we have like three massive generators parked out back, which are loud as loud as shit. And uh, I'm currently running this podcast off the hotspot of my phone. So uh, I think Amazing. John's actually doing the same thing. Austin, so, I, I yeah. like on it, like this just like reaffirms me. Like you literally live in like the Shire. Well, so, <laughs> so John, get this. I did live in the Shire. And that's why I had to hotspot a few times and have to go to my girlfriend's parents' place in the city, which Shout is why I was in Gatineau at some point. And then I moved to the city, right, to get away from that. And I moved into a new place in the city that is off the grid, so they don't have internet connection available yet. So I'm currently not in the Shire, but it still seems like I am. So I appreciate the, uh, the belief. Austin's so backwards that you can live in the city while being off the grid. No, that's just being in Quebec. Like, that's just what it is. <laughs> and the way that it works. But well, I mean, Quebec is ahead or, or oh, yeah, like yeah. either, either very ahead or very on behind on, you know, a, a variety of topics, depending on where you're, what you're talking about. It could just be light years different. I think I just need to go to Quebec. You need to give me a tour of Quebec. I think Quebec is the second biggest province uh so it's not really that that uh that different or sorry it's it's not it's not that like i can't just show you around quebec necessarily like quebec, quebec, 
I mean, why not? Quebec City is is what people from Quebec call Quebec. I don't know if you knew that. So if you live in Quebec, people are like, oh, I'm going to Quebec. And Quebec for Quebecers means one area of Quebec. You guys call yourselves Quebecers? Well, yes. Yeah. Jesus. Quebecers, man. Correct. Is, is that funny? What are you? A, are you a colonial? No, it's uh, colonian. Yeah, colonian. And Amber, what are you from Etobicoke? That's Normal. An interesting one. I am a Canadian. I'm a real Etobicoke. Canadian. That's what I am. You are an Etobicoke. Etobicoke. <laughs> okay, so uh, first things first, we got to apologize for the. Uh, the audio this week is going to be noticeably different. It's not going to be bad. It's kind of just back to the same old though. It's our Zoom audio. Uh, the problem with this is that John had to, uh, John was originally not going to be able to make it tonight and then obviously uh, is way too accountable to miss out on that. So joined in via Zoom on his phone and is talking through his phone. I actually want to comment. I want to comment on that for a second because um, the reason John is able to run a very successful business is one of the reasons is because of his integrity and integrity doesn't just happen with your business. It happens with around your life. So John looks at his watch, realizes the time and he's like, Oh my goodness, I'm on a golf course. I'm nowhere near my mic plan B. Let's think of a plan B. I'm going to go to my car hotspot and call in. And that's, and that's really that integrity. I'm willing to bet some, some good, good money here that uh, when it comes to his business, if anything goes sideways, loses an employee, um, is in a sticky situation in an estimate where he might not close the sale, is able to be as resourceful. So I just wanted to point that out, that all these attributes, they really bleed in. They're, they're not just in business. You're not just business savvy. You're just savvy. No, you're how you just, do one thing is how you do all things. Yeah, bingo. Yeah. So I just wanted to give you some acknowledgement there. You know, obviously it could be better, but John made it work. And... That's just how the obstacle becomes the way is the way, which is interesting because Trish is actually taking this as an opportunity as well to just read the book next to me. Oh, Trish is in the car. Yeah. Trish is reading. She's still mad at you. (laughs) She's really not stoked. (laughs) Shout out Trisha. What up? Trisha, she the, she uh, was so funny. We're like on the course and, and, and I was like, Oh my God, like the, I gotta, I gotta get the podcast. And she's like, what do you mean? Just tell them that you're on the golf course. I'm like, no, 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 sweetie. Like that's not a thing. And then she's like, no, but if you call them, I'm sure they'll understand. I'm like, no, sweetie, this is not a thing of them understanding. This is a, this is like, no one's missed a podcast in over a year. I'm like, I'm not the first guy that's going to do that. Right. Like this is, if I call them, it's like, I'm going in the car. I'm like, I'm either going to like, just act as if I just didn't know, or I'm going to the car. So then I'm like, I'm going to the car. <laughs> yeah. Fair play, man. Well, acknowledgements there. That's pretty cool. And by the way, uh, you know, for, for something, you know, obviously it sucks in the short term for Trisha, but if, if I was Trisha, I would just kind of think of it in a way where it's like, oh, wow. So if I have a commitment with John ever in the future, he will always come through, you know, that's how. Yeah. That's do, how you, do you really, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, do you really want to date a guy when like, like when he misses, like when he forgets something that he's just like, oh yeah, I'll just blow it off. Like you don't want to date a guy like that. Like that was almost a test. I mean, if, if I had been like, oh yeah, you're right, Trisha, well, I'll just keep golfing. No worries. I would have been like, fuck, like I, if I was Trisha, I would have been like, sweet, no worries. You can actually golf by yourself because I'm leaving your ass. Damn. <laughs> right? Like that's a, that's, a, that's a life move right there. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you could say. I mean. You, you don't want to date a loser. Well, it's funny because at the same time, like you kind of wonder that stuff with 
when people not no longer talking about you, John, but when people that have a commitment to you start just not fulfilling on that commitment and you kind of just think to yourself, like, what is the, you know, what's the root of that? You know, like, like obviously I could complain or, or, or bitch and moan about something that somebody's not doing when they said they were going to do it that I'm trying to hold accountable for my sake and for theirs. But then it feels almost like very small minded to, to like nitpick the current parameters of the situation. Right. So like for an example, um, there's this, the, 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 the condo or the apartment we just moved into is managed by this company uh, that shall remain nameless, I guess. Uh, and they've just had a ton of defects with the apartment. As I've already mentioned, like we're currently running off of generators with no capacity to be hooked up to the internet. And we've been living here for a week. So they've been fairly good with solving the immediate problem, but very bad at communicating with the, I guess it's about 20 people that have moved in on this street and like this array of new buildings. Um, so you kind of wonder, you know, like they haven't, uh, really been in communication about what they could do as a, as, as a, like everybody here is working from home, presumably, right. With no internet. So everybody's obviously just hot spotting, but you haven't heard anything from the company saying, Hey, we're willing to subsidize this or, or give you a break on that. Um, they haven't put apartment numbers on. So every unit or every, every separate building has three units and there's three different doors that all have different stairs, like different access points on the building. And it's super not obvious, like what would be one, two, and three. So we're number three, but there's no number installed on the house yet. So it's like Bell tried to ship us a turbo hub for us to use internet, but we can't even, we couldn't even get it delivered because the purelator guy couldn't legally deliver it to a place with no address. So it's just like a complete ball. Like they're just dropping the ball completely. And like, I kind of gave them a week to kind of get their shit together to not, you know, call them and kind of go off on them for a bit. Well, very but it's just generous. Like, wow. But yeah, I know, I know it's very generous, but I'm kind of just like, you know, Holy, I'm gonna let them go. Have but, but here's the thing, right? Is that you think, you know, where does that, where, because as a company, it's easy to have that stuff happen more so than a person. A person can just take action in their own life, but a company, it's a larger group of people to get to think that way, right? So you got to wonder, like, for a company like that, where does that start for them? It starts with management and the culture. It starts with the leader, yeah. Right. But like, let's say, oh, so that, that, that's a great question. So let's say, um, you got, oh, and the power doesn't work in the master bedroom and the guest bedroom. The power doesn't like the outlets don't work. So it's just like a complete piss off. But so yeah, where would, um, where would you guys, uh, let's say I appointed Amr, you're now the CEO of this property management group. Uh, what are you doing tomorrow? Well, one of our clients, um, he's a contractor and a part of being a good contractor is you're always subcontracting different trades. And so it's right. very easy to go to, to a client and be like, Hey, the painter guy that I tried to subcontract hasn't shown up and it's totally out of my responsibility. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I did my best. I sent him the emails. I sent him the text. He hasn't showed up, but I think that's what a weak contractor would do. A good contractor would establish those relationships with the subcontractors way ahead of time to really see the integrity that exists. Same if I'm running this business, all these 
uh, small things that, ha that can happen, the power, the address, those can all be managed ahead of time. And so as a, as a CEO of this business, I would take a look at the relationships I have with the suppliers or subcontractors and uh, fire a bunch of them and find some new companies to work with. It's, I mean, it's actually, in my eyes, at least, it seems like a pretty simple thing. But so in my shoes, I'm dealing with this guy, Julian, who can't be much older than I am. Like, you know, losing my mind, not, not that I'm going to lose my mind, but I mean, you know, getting direct with him. No, 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 no. The guy that I'm my, my contact with the company that managed. Okay. Him. Yeah. Okay. So what, what did is you just it? ask him if he's my painter? Did you just ask me if he's my painter? Yeah. No, no, no. No, no. It's the guy from the company that is managing this section of the new apartments. He's not really managing much. It seems right. But it, no, but he's just, he's in, semi-decent communication literally about that about things that is are he a outside maker? of their control no that's the thing is that i need to speak it to a decision maker see this is okay so this is a great point so what it sounds like to me just from everything you've told me is that this company that is managing this building has no decentralized command okay yeah i can see that it sounds like there's multiple points when someone said not my job yeah, 100%. Because it sounds like multiple times where someone said, hey, man, I'm sorry, that's someone else's responsibility. But the problem is, is that no one, it's no one's responsibility when that's the attitude, right? And this is actually one of the reasons why, you know, like I'm reading actually a very, very good book right now about Erwin Rommel, who's a, a general actually for the, for the Germans in World War II. He was not a Nazi, but he was, he was a general for the Germans. And uh, he, when he, he, he was he battled in North Africa. And one of the main reasons why they actually defeated the British for the most part, or at least why they were pretty successful in their campaign was that the British did not have decentralized yeah. command. And so it take forever for any orders to actually happen. Whereas Rommel was right there at the front. I mean, one of the, yeah. one of the sayings of Rommel is where the front is, yeah. that's where Rommel is. Right. <laughs> and because Rommel's right. no, but because Rommel's troops were able to make their own decisions. So if they saw an opportunity, they could capitalize on it. If they saw a mistake, that was clearly a mistake. Right they would have the ability to say, hey guys, you know what? It seems like on the map that we were supposed to turn left here, but it shows that we're supposed to turn right. I'm gonna make an executive decision right now that we're gonna turn left. And he's, they can live and die with the consequences. Whereas if that was the British, they'd have to send a messenger back, wait three hours, get the messenger there, and it would just take forever. And then everything took forever for the British to actually do anything because it all had to be approved by, system, by some superior that was nowhere near where the action was. Whereas Rommel was right there in the thick of it, po literally pointing that in the also, tank with the guys. That also happened with France. Like when Germany like would just walked into France and they took over Paris. Yeah, it was exactly literally thing. walked in. And, and Blitzkrieg, the man. Yeah, and then the French were like, you know what? We're just going to surrender because these guys are threatening to like destroy the Eiffel Tower and on all these things. Like, we're just Rommel was a part of that as well. I mean, Rommel was one of the guys who was the you know led the charge for that. I mean, he earned his Iron Cross, uh, his Knight's Cross, which is one of the highest honors. It's like the Medal of Honor. German. Yeah. It's basically the Medal of Honor for the German uh, for the the Weimar um, or the Wehrmacht. Um, army it was like it was like the best you can get right and it was because of that i mean they just they rushed decentralized command jocko willing talks about this as well right i mean you got to have guys below you be able to make their own decisions right so one of my one of my uh, clients asked my painter hey do you think we could add on this window the painter is able to then just look at the window and say okay this is going to be 
about an hour of my, you know, let's say half an hour of my time. And I know that John bills out, you know, would say 75 bucks an hour. They could say, Hey, yeah, we could add this window, but it's probably gonna cost around 50, 60 bucks or so. Right. And then the client can say, yeah, it sounds good. And then the, and the painter can say, okay, sweet. John will send you an exact quote, but it'll be around there. And then I say, Hey, what do you tell them it's going to cost? I make sure it's okay. Bill them out. It's good to go. Right. So it's yeah. instant. Right. Or, Hey, the, the, the client says, Hey, you know, we, um, we don't really like the color on this door. Could we switch it to this color? Painter say, no problem. It's going to cost you about 50 bucks for the gallon. And then they, the painter phones in the paint store, orders the new paint, goes down, picks it up, drives it back, paints the door. Meanwhile, I get a phone call at the end of the day and I say, Hey, how'd it go? And they said, went smooth. Correct. Right. That's what I so really that's decentralized command for as well. Right. I didn't get a, Guess what? The client didn't get a, didn't have to wait three days for a new color to get picked because I'm in Whistler. Right. It was done. Right. right. So it sounds like this company, you know, white light plugs weren't working. The guy's like, well, shit, do I spend an extra hour to fix it? Well, no. Cause I, I don't know if they're billing that for that. So he calls his boss, boss doesn't answer. He leaves the job. Right. I don't know. Maybe that's what happened. hundred percent. Yeah. So. They're just lacking systems and procedures, systems and yeah. procedures. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah so 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 critical and uh yeah i mean that's, that's literally in anything though by the way in anything right like like i mean this goes right down to your relationship right Elaborate. You know, if, I, if i yeah well you know like if i say hey trisha like if trisha said hey can we go to whistler i'm like yeah sweet no worries right she can book a place she doesn't need to ask me right she knows that i'm indifferent Right. 100%. She goes, I, I don't care where we're booking. I, she doesn't need to consult with me. Right. If she, if, she, but also if she sees a smoking deal, right. She can go ahead and take advantage of it. She doesn't have to wait for me to get off work or she has to call me or get a hold of me. She can just take advantage of that deal. Right. But I'm wondering what, like, I, sorry, like I, I totally understand what you guys are saying. I, I, I totally agree with all of that. If you're in my shoes, you know, I know how I would approach the situation right now. I think it would be, somewhat effective if not quite effective but i want to know you know the purpose of this weekly call is to get some some input sorry effective of what you would do if you were the company or effective what you do no from my from where i am in terms of what i'm going to do on to because monday tomorrow's a a staff holiday like so i can't contact them it's a really good opportunity to to probably spend less time on technology it's probably a great opportunity to build some resiliency and what do you mean by spend well. less time on technology? Oh, do you just mean well, by the fact that I don't have? Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah see the opportunity. Right? I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe. Oh, no, no, no. So not trying to say, hey, what am I going to do with my time? Totally already covered that. I'm just saying, how would you guys go be a very effective communicator with these people to just really break through and make them understand the impacts so that they can actually be held accountable for their inaction? I, I do mean, you pay rent? You, I paid rent when I signed the lease for the month of September, which was in the beginning of August. So it's already paid this month. Well, does rent talk about having an address and some power? Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that their side? Well, that's the, this is the thing. Point? No, no. And th- this is what I'm trying to do, Amber, is determine like, you know, what would be a reasonable, like, you know, is it just saying, hey, I'm not going to pay October's rent. Because the, the thing is, is they know oh, all this stuff is going to be resolved by October 1st, right? And we've already paid the month's rent. So I don't want to get into the, um, I, I want to know what my wiggle room is here because I'm really not well-versed with, I'm, I'm well-versed on how to communicate with people on like how they're in, like, I, I'm, a, I, I'm confident. Also, I'm that trying I to give you the answer. With them. 
the yeah. art of negotiation here in this situation. You go for the extreme. Hey, man, I was I feel a bit cheated. I mean, I didn't even have power in my bedroom. Uh, everybody's working from home. And here I am hot spotting my 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 bill for my phone is now going to be this much more. Mm-hmm. So all these inconveniences, uh, I don't know, tell me why I should pay you for October, and not just assume that my September payments should cover for October. And put that on their on their end and then see what they see. You could even go more extreme. You'd be like, hey, I don't want to pay rent next month and I'd like to get reimbursed for this month. And then when yes. they say, well, hold on, that's unreasonable, sir. Well, we will comp you for next month. So you're like, sweet, no worries. No, I, I love this. When people say, oh, no, that's unreasonable. Be like, you know what's unreasonable? Being in a global pandemic with no power. That's unreasonable, sir. Yeah, yeah. You, can, you know what's um, unreasonable? Trying to order some food without having an address so the food never mm-hmm. comes. Yeah, what if you had, mm-hmm. never think about it, though. Like, what if you had sleep apnea, right? I mean, this would be a bigger problem, right? <laughs> Your machine can't get hooked up, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, try and, I mean, this is negotiating, like Amber said, I mean, definitely try and anchor at a point that's, you know, either higher or lower than, you know, depending on which way you look at it, but definitely anchor at some point that's more favorable than less favorable and yeah. allow them to then come back to you. And when they come back to you and say, well, hold on, like, we understand that you're unhappy, sir. But so what we'll, we'll do is we'll give you half month's rent and you say, hey, I appreciate the response, but that's not good enough. Because what you've done now is you've let them know that their offer doesn't isn't fair, but you haven't given any ground on your end. Yeah. yeah. yeah so you don't want to move your benchmark. You just want to move theirs. And then, yeah, you, then you do that. And then when you're talking to the guy on the phone, try and um, use the mirroring uh, uh, effect as well. So like if he's like, hey, man, like, you know, that doesn't seem very reasonable. You're like, reasonable? He's like, well, yeah, you, you know, you've, you've, you know, you've been living without power and all this different stuff. And I, I can really imagine that's so difficult. And you're like, difficult? Like, well, yeah, of course, man. Like, I mean, I, I don't know what I would do. And you just keep repeating the last word of what he's saying. Get them talking, right? Get them talking, get them going. Right? Like when I use those words, the, those adjectives to describe your situation, you, you make, you question that words so that they have to develop on it themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just use the mirror effect, get them talking, right? Get them explaining it. I record the conversations as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you'll be fine, man. I'm surprised no, I, I'm at how not, patient not, you are. This I'm not crazy. worried about it. I'm, I'm honestly just kind of, uh, I, well, to be quite honest, I, I'm not really that Get patient. a whole, it like, just, a union It just kind of hit me. Yeah. Start it just kind of hit me on, on Friday evening because we had moved in on Tuesday, the 1st, and then I was just kind of in a scramble already for just moving all these things in, painting the whole apartment, working full-time, in and out, you know, I, I was able to find Wi-Fi to work from. And then I kind of just realized on Friday, I was like, you know, they didn't take any action from Tuesday to Friday at all. So that's what made me really start to question them. And then obviously you can't get a hold of them until it's a work day. So um, it's now Sunday. So I've just had the time to kind of think about how ridiculous all of this is. And I would say that I'm not really sitting there on Tuesday going, oh, I'll give them until Friday. Um, I was just so goddamn busy <laughs> Uh, that I just didn't quite register how ridiculous all of this is. What you could do is you could probably try and go talk to a bunch of your neighbors and, and you guys could all place your calls at the same time, all with the exact same, like you guys should, you guys should all be coordinated. Yeah. Um, you can probably coordinate at least a few people because right. then the, the, the response, because if one guy calls in, they could just like fuck this one guy. But if, if like eight of you guys all call in, like then it's like a very serious problem to them because they have a whole building that may not be paying rent. Yeah. So you could, you could, you could, you could use some art of war here. You could concentrate your forces and you could um, take the initiative. Yeah, you're right. That would yeah. be pretty scary. I imagine eh? that's like 20 people 
at whatever the monthly rent is around here. And great way to meet well, the neighbors, this, by it, the way. It, no, but yeah, yeah, great way. But imagine this though. I mean, if, if one of your employees calls you saying, hey, I'm not making enough money, you're like, ah, oh, whatever. But if every single employee you have yeah, working for you calls 100%. you, it's, it's, it's kind of, a, it, it like instantly jumps to like top of, top of priority list. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, you're right. Um, but that's what happens when you concentrate your forces, right? You bust right through the wall. Again, back to Blitzkrieg, right? This is right back to Rommel. why the Germans won. Yeah, man, because because they would they would they would outflank their opponents. As a matter of fact, one of the strategies they would use is they break through the front line. And so the French kind of expected the war to be similar to this is kind of going back to the the, the French portion of World War Two, or the France portion. Um, the the French expected they actually had this thing called the Magnoin line, and they expected it to be like World War One, where basically they all yeah. lined up in trenches and started battling. Yeah. And then quite literally, they took a tank and drove right past them. And then the French were like. Are they coming back? What? Like, where are they going? Yeah. And then it's like, <laughs> oh shit. Like, dude, wait, hold on. Like, they're going to keep going? Like, what the fuck? And then the, the, literally the Germans just drove right through France, right? And then the French, of course, got completely chaotic. They started surrendering by the hundreds of thousands, right? They were f- throwing them flowers. It was like insane. If you saw documentaries, the French were like throwing flowers at the Germans. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was, it was just so chaotic. It was like, you know, just completely fell apart, right? Yeah. Well, John also, you know, just to add on your point, Germany also had the most tanks out of every country. So, you know, the, the French didn't even have a tank, you know, really. Yeah, at working. least in Europe, they did. Yeah, not in every battle. Because like one of the interesting things was that in North Africa, the Germans actually had less tanks than the than the uh, the British. But they had um, they had these the 88 guns, which were the like tank aircraft guns. They had anti-aircraft guns that were converted to the anti-tank guns, and, yeah. and those were the difference makers. So higher quality tanks uh, and higher quality equipment versus just n- uh, numerous numbers. And same with the Russians, actually. The Russians had more tanks, more people, more everything. Um, and ultimately, they, I guess they won, not necessarily, well, I guess maybe because of that, but, but uh, yeah. Hey, listeners. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Weekly Call. We just have a quick yet very important message for all of you. The three of us are currently actively in pursuit to find young, ambitious, and like-minded people that are interested in business management and business ownership roles. Roles that three to five years ago put Austin, Ammer, and John in a place where they could learn, grow, and optimize their discipline and habits. These positions are available all across Canada, so it doesn't matter if you're in Victoria, British Columbia, or St. John's, Newfoundland. There is an opportunity where you are located. If you are interested in working directly with Amher, Austin, and John and learning what it takes to run an efficient and scalable business, please drop us a line at theweeklycallpod at gmail.com, all one word, for more information. Now back to this episode of The Weekly Call. Yeah, Yeah, but wasn't there a spot within within France when uh, the the British and the Russians teamed up together where Blitzkrieg actually was a bad thing? Because they got like ended up being split apart in France and cornered into like a couple of towns. Um, this was in the winter. I don't know if you if you if you're if you know the details of World War Two because I love World War Two. That's like something I know. I, I, I know that um, Ryan Holiday talks a lot about this. And, you know, ultimately there was one of the one of the weaknesses of the Germans was that. See, um, if you can, because the the one of the effects of Blitzkrieg was actually, it was the, just the emotional impact that it had on the troops. So it wasn't even so much that they were at a, a massive advantage by just simply driving right through you. But if you could actually just keep your wits about you and not completely crumble under the pressure, you could actually then um, 
which is how they ended up defeating the Germans in, in a lot of different areas. And actually, it's what actually ended up happening in Russia. That's, I mean, it was one of the biggest things. Was this, it's called a pocket. And so basically, the Germans had penetrated too deep. Yes. And then the, the Russians actually allowed them to keep going, keep going, keep going. And then the, the Russians then outflanked them and yeah. literally built an entire circle around them. It's called encirclement. And then from there, basically, it was like, it was crazy how many, um, how many Germans. And I mean, take in mind, too, that they, they allowed them to penetrate very deep right outside of Stalingrad, um, penetrate very, very deep into Russia. And of course, those Russian winners are no joke. And yeah. uh, when you're, when you're, the Germans cold, were not you're prepared. surrounded. Yeah, no, no. They, well, because they thought it was going to be a quick war. They thought they were going to, you know, just conquer Russia. Like the, the Russians were problem. fierce. Can't touch Stalingrad. Yeah. Literally named after the guy. Like you can't, he, he would not allow that city to fall. It's interesting too, because um, it, Napoleon tried doing the same thing and the Russians used the same tactic. They just, they just used the land to their advantage, right? Scorched yeah. earth kind of thing where they just, they just, uh, but it's one of those interesting things where you can actually just sort of do that too, right? Like in, in business as well, you can allow your, your, uh, your enemies to tire themselves out, right? You so know, here's a question, John, how is that different from burning the bridges? What the Germans did by penetrating too deep. I mean, where do you draw the line? You know, death well, ground? It, weren't the well, Germans the on death is, ground? The Germans weren't on death ground. It was actually quite the opposite because they, they had, they at any point could actually retreat. See, what oh. death ground is, is that you actually don't have a way of retreating. The Germans did have a backup option. One, they could be prisoners of war. Oh. And then, yeah. And two, they could have, you know, people could have retreated or deserted or whatever, right? So there actually was, it wasn't quite a death ground. Yeah. Okay. Now that's a, that, that's an interesting, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's interesting enough though. Um, you know, one of the things that they do, one of the things that they did, and this is actually somewhat true as well, because the, the, you know, prisoner of war, uh, aspect of the Eastern front was pretty gnarly, uh, because the Russians were absolutely ruthless towards the Germans. The in, gulag. In their, yeah, they were ruthless against the Germans, but then vice versa, the Germans basically used the Russians as slaves in the concentration camps. I mean, they were only a step above the Jews in the, in the Germans' eyes. Like, it was really bad. Um, mm. But in saying that, though, the Germans would use this to their advantage. And same with the Russians. The Russians had a two-pronged thing here. This is actually really fascinating. Um, so the, the Russians, they, so not only did they, they, they explain to their Russian or to, to, their, to their troops, hey, guys, if you surrender, like the Germans just shoot you on sight. Like they, they spread these like propagandic <laughs> uh, rumors of this. That's so that crazy. People wouldn't, so they wouldn't surrender. But then they also, which was sort of true. Um, the second thing was that, uh, <laughs> this is so crazy. So they would send their guys. I mean, there's so many different things we could go off here, but they would send uh, like, so there would be uh, roughly seven, there were seven Russians to every one gun available. So they would send, yes, send yes. yeah, this is so nuts. I remember so this. they would send, they would send one guy with a gun running towards the front with six guys following him. Each <laughs> of the six guys, this is so nuts. Each of the six guys behind them had a clip in their hands. So like they could load it in the gun. And when the first guy died, the second guy would pick up the gun, load up his clip and then keep going. And then, so they would basically just be like literally ammunition, like the gun itself, the ammunition was not only the bullets, but also the humans, which is nuts. But the point I was trying to make though, is that the, uh, they would set up a secondary machine gun way behind the front for the sole purpose that if you turned around and tried retreating, you, you, they would shoot their own people. Yeah. No, you can't retreat. Yeah. And so I remember, I remember like thinking about that. I remember in, in history class, I remember thinking to myself, I said to my professor, I said, well, that's just stupid because you're just going to end up killing your own guys. And the professor says, what do you think ended up happening after the first guy got shot? I said, I don't know. He's like, no one retreated. Yeah. 
right? Mm. So if one of your employees shows up late on the first day, like, and everyone's there and you fire them on the spot, yeah. no one's showing up late. You promote right? what you permit. That's my favorite. Yeah, quote. yeah. I remember <laughs> one of my high school teachers. I mean, obviously he was, he was joking. This this would not maybe pass in today's society, but the teacher said he's like, yeah, he's like, imagine like if one of you guys showed up late and I just shot you. Like no one would ever show up to high school late ever again. <laughs> and I had a teacher that kind of had something similar. So my math teacher, if you showed up late, you had to sing in front of the whole class. I am a little teapot. Wow. I like so that. So no one, no one That's showed so up late cool. the first kid sat up at the front. Of, he's like, you serious? And he's like, yeah, you guys sing it. And he's like, put the words up on the screen. He's like, go ahead. <laughs> That's evil. And you he was know, like this cool kid, right? <laughs> the, the comparison I see here from this World War II talk, because it can be you know, kind of funny to pick up here, but I think the parallel that I see with, with running sort of a, a trade business is just how the Germans were ill-prepared when winter came. I think most trade businesses are ill-prepared when winter comes. And so the, the businesses that end up really surviving is like around November, they're planning for the January marketing and okay, none of your Ammer. competitors are there. Ammer, I, you know, this, you, you're a consultant, Austin, you're a consultant. You guys know this, you know, what's the, the deadliest thing that anybody can say. Uh, hey, I know that we're underprepared, but don't worry. Cause it's going to be easy. <laughs> the amount of times that, that, a, that a franchise owner has come to me and said, I said, Hey, like, what are you at? And they're like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm about $40,000 off my goal. And I was like, oh, okay, like, aren't you a little concerned? Because you only have like eight weeks left. He's like, no, dude, it's all good. Like, I can do 200 easy, no problem. I'm like, okay, so you're not doing 200, right? Right. When someone's like, oh, don't worry about it. Like, when someone's like, you got like three employees and they're like, yeah, don't worry. Like, I have actually, I only need three employees for the rest of the summer. Don't worry. Like, everything will be fine. I'm like, dude, so basically nothing is going to be fine then. Anytime someone says, don't worry about it, no worries, basically, like, it's all good. It's going to be easy. I'm like, dude, you are going to get absolutely thrashed here what are your thoughts on on the song don't worry be happy do you think that's propaganda <laughs> i think i think that people should uh should i mean i don't know if worrying is 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 almost double suffering so people shouldn't um it, the song shouldn't be don't worry be happy it should be 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 prepared execute and then <laughs> enjoy the fruits of your labor <laughs> that will not top the chart it doesn't, quite, it doesn't quite have the same <laughs> ring don't worry, be happy, question mark. Uh, what was your quote, sir, John? Be prepared and execute. Actually, <laughs> about a thing. Whichever little thing. Gonna be all right. Right? Yeah. Versus like, yeah, you could like sing like the other version of it. Yeah. I feel like it should be, um, instead of don't worry, it should say like, I guess you're not promoting being worried. You wouldn't say be concerned or be worried. You just want to say, yeah, like you said, be prepared. Do you guys get what I mean though? About worrying is just, it's just double suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Double suffering. But yeah, the question you should ask yourself come November is, are you ready? Are you ready for the, for the Russian winter? Uh, do you have your, your weaponry to go attack the market come January 1st? I don't know about you guys, but I've never been disappointed in being overprepared. No. I don't think that's a, my favorite quote from my history teacher, he always had it on the door. So you always would see it was uh, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. I like that one. Yeah. Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Oh, I do like that one. Yeah. And so whenever like a, a student like comes to the, the teachers like, Hey, like I worked hard all year. I got a 48. 
can you give me two more percentage points so I can pass the class? And he's what like, would be look, a time. So one second, one second. Austin. So he's yeah. like, uh, look, you never did your homework. You never prepared for tests. So I'll, I'm assuming with this quote here, you are actually preparing for the worst. The worst has come. And I will not give you the 2% because that's, you will learn nothing. Yeah, well, good. it's interesting because, uh, you know, I think in the last episode, I think I read off this quote from the prince and it was talking about how like Lady Fortune will find those who are ill prepared and teach them the consequences of basically being ill prepared. Yeah. Right. So it's like, and I think we talked about this about the black swan as well, which I know that maybe we want to touch upon. I'm not sure if you guys are still reading that book, but um, Austin, if you want to touch upon this as well, right. In the black swan, he talks about how you, ne you never heard about the thousand wars that were prevented. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay, well, like one of the, one of the interesting things is like my summer went pretty smooth, all things considering, like I just absolutely, you know, crushed it as far as quality goes and people think oh it must have been such a breeze right well yeah it was smooth but only because i was so i was so prepared prepared at any given moment that i give the illusion that i had a seamless summer when in reality it was just constant like you can basically either work extremely hard to catch up and to maintain mediocrity or you can prepare for greatness either way you're working hard you're either working yeah. hard to prevent or you're working hard to fix well, no, I think that it's less work to prepare. Oh, interesting. What would be something that you guys could just well, think about, um, guys, think about the client who waits to paint their trim until it's full blown peeling versus yeah, the yeah. client who paints it every seven years in no peeling. Right? Well, you know, you know what this ties back into guys. Oh, no. well, it's interesting because <laughs> no, because no, because if you know, it's interesting though, because if you delay the future too much, it's like you app, you, you basically, like think about um, uh, an interesting one that people delay way too much is their retirement. Like, so they discount their retirement or, or Austin, make sure I got the wording right on this, but they discount their retirement too much. And so by the time retirement comes, they realize, Oh my God, I didn't prepare at all. And so like, that's a failure of their, of their discounting. Of that's 100% it. Yeah. Well, they become a large discounter and then they have a, lo a lower sense of delayed gratification. And Amber wants to jump out a window because we just got started talking about delayed discounting. No, but, yeah, it's because these people have no idea what these shirts look like. That's, that's why. <laughs> so before we start uh, this podcast, Austin pulls up the, his browser. Oh, it's the nicest shirt. Like oh I'm, I'm concerned. <laughs> So <laughs> great person who buys the mango colored one gets a free copy of meditations the mango shirt i just There's bought this the, ugly uh, mango colored version of the i just shirt. bought the color? i just bought the smoke gray version oh my uh God. and and john's gonna get the mango version and and then once 98 other people buy shirts amber has to shave his entire head uh, it's well, not gonna no, happen because people are it. smart. John gets to shave. John that gets was, to shave that was, yes. Yeah, I just want to say that was the contract. I'm putting my faith in in my audience here that they no, understand yeah. the value of thirty bucks and not wasting. We have it. a lot of we have a lot of people with really good sense of delayed gratification here. So I think they're gonna want to walk no. around with it saying delayed discount. You know what, Austin? Hold on a second. You just said something pretty cool because if people really want to see this on october 26th they're buying a shirt for something that's going to happen a month in advance you're right so if this works then i will you're never, very right i will never essentially discounting essentially, if it doesn't do work you, then i win both ways do you value 30 dollars now or am getting his head shaved in a month <laughs> oh 
Ooh, I like that. Right. One. So, how much are yeah. you going to discount Amber getting his head shaved? Because Amber yeah, you... definitely, of the three of us, he's definitely the highest in his vanity score. So, no. Like, what is? What are you like... talking so, about? Because, because <laughs> the thing is, is you're going to have to ask yourself, like, are you going to, are you one of those people that's like, oh yeah, I can't wait to see Amber's head get shaved. I'll just wait to see that happen, or I'll buy a shirt, you know, next week. Yeah, we keep putting this into the great, great scenario. Uh, actually, hold on. Okay, without going too much into this, but uh, Austin, is is um is the is the um bystander effect or bystander effect? Is that a part of daily discounting? Like how like there'll be a bunch of people who all no, that's like more social psychology. That's like just oh, the, okay, because there's that, multiple that, examples yeah. of this. Yeah, oh, so you point. can don't you can buy the shirt. Somebody else will. It is. I guess. I guess yeah, yeah. you're saying that is a slightly different. Thing, oh, right? is that is that is that what you were thinking, John? Like what Emmer said? Don't buy the shirt. Somebody else will. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So is that, there's is that a, a name? discounting? Uh, no, and it's not the bystander effect either. There's actually like here's a, a, no. Here's an this. example. Actually, I wrote this. Um, I wrote this to uh to uh. Oh, I, I don't want to forget her name. I think it's Valerie Smoka or Valerie. Yeah, Senka. I, I think it's her birthday today. Senka. Oh, happy birthday, Valerie! What's up? See what happens when you guys email us. We forget. We remember your birthday, and we show you out on the podcast, right? So. <laughs> Um, but no, but for real though. So I said to Valerie, I said, um, you know, my mom taught me this thing at a very young age and I've just always utilized it, which is that you actually have better odds with the most attractive girl in the room than just one of the mediocre ones. Huh. It's true. And the reason it, no, no, and the reason why is because everyone else discounts their chance. <laughs> Sorry, I want to try and pull this into it. Discounts their chance with the more attractive girl because they just assume that every other guy is going to go after that. But every guy actually goes through that same thought processy, and so then basically what ends up happening is all of the guys then go after the the you know mediocre girls. So all of the competitiveness is actually on the mediocre, and the the top things are not very um, competitive. And I actually oh, think this things. is this. There's a term for this. No, no, but no, but, but, but uh, Amra, I, I say things as in like not even because like. Teasing. No, because think about it though. Um, the clients that are the, um, I actually don't find the $10,000 paint jobs, the $20,000 paint jobs are that competitive because all the other painters just assume that there's some other painting company that specializes or does that. Mm. You're totally right. Yeah. Like how did, how did, how did me, John, end up painting 250 homes in over the last five years in what's called Kettle Valley in Kelowna? There's only a thousand homes there. They're like all the highest end. It's the nicest neighborhood in Kelowna. And yet I painted 25% of them over the last five years. Why? As a student painting company to do that? Because I was the only one that had the balls to go up there and knock on doors, right? They were the most attractive girls in the room. And I remember what my mom told me. I said, I'm going to go knock on their doors and talk to those people, right? Whereas my competitors, they're like, oh, well, no, it's, there's someone else who does that. I'm just going to advertise in Rutland or I'm just going to go advertise in Glenmore, right? I'm writing this down. It's more competitive. It's more competitive to be mediocre than it is to be, um, than it is to be excellent. And there's actually another example here, which I actually used this same mindset to get one of the highest GPAs in the university I was at. And it was this, if you look at just by a percentage points, there's the two largest categories are failure, which is 50% or below. But the next biggest target on the, which this is, this works the same way, by the way, as a dartboard um, logic the bullseye, which is the A plus is actually the largest category. It's 10%. It's from 90 all the way to hundred. It's the easiest mark to hit the bullseye. You're right. I always thought of that too. Yeah. 
Wait, say that again. I didn't, I didn't so every grade, uh, Amber, it's like, you know, B is a 73 to a 78 or in a B minus is a 70 to a 73 or something, yeah. right? They're just smaller ranges. But anything above, and then an, or an A minus is an 82 and 84. An A is an 85 to an 89. And an A plus is anything above 90. Oh, so technically A plus has the largest possible range of values. So it's the easiest target to hit if you mm -hmm. control for um, all other variables, just like speaking. Yeah. Yeah. I know that I know there's some false logic in that example, but like that was just my mindset in the sense that I was like, well, I'm just going to aim for the largest target. Yeah. Makes sense. There's a, I'm trying to find the term, John, that it results in people making uh, it's essentially like group complacency when it comes to decision-making. Right. Everybody just thinks like everybody, it's kind of like the, an example of game theory. It's like, Oh, I'm going to do this because I think others are going to do that. It's basing your actions off of other people's, your predictions of other people. Is it, is it like, um, I remember my, my, group, my group think group think is what came to mind. I don't know if that's what came to mind for you, Amber, but it's not group. Well, there's think. definitely an aspect of group think, but there's, um, I remember my grandmother used to call it rockstar parking. So like at the ski hill, we used uh -huh. to drive all rockstar parking. She used to drive all the way to the front. And every time I'd be like, grandmother, like, like the, the, everyone, they, all these spots are filled. Tell me and, that you and, called and your grandma, grandmother. I actually call her Lulu. Okay. But either way, okay, so we say. drove all the way to the front and she'd always find one spot right near the fucking front. And I'd be like, how the heck? And, and then I kind of kicked in afterwards. I was like, you know what? I bet everyone else that showed up just saw a full parking lot and didn't bother to go and look. Yeah. They just assumed there was no parking up front. Yo, right. that's crazy. <laughs> think about how many, but think about how many contractors just assume that it's harder to do a million than it is to do a hundred thousand. Think about yeah. how many people assume that it's harder to do a smaller, more obtainable number than that big audacious goal. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things right. that I think Amber and I both discovered was that it's easier. Okay. And it's in quotations, cause I mean, define easier, but it's, it's, I find it more manageable on my life, work life balance to manage a larger business than a smaller one. Yeah. That's what I, I actually realized that too. We had a podcast episode about that a few months ago. It was called uh, running a bigger business is easier. Austin's fallacy or something. Oh yeah. Okay. That, that's what that was about. That was my, that, that's what I realized for this year. Right. Cause I was saying, Oh, I'm doing a master's degree. I'm coaching people. I'm going to run a smaller business. Wasn't easier. Ended up running a bigger business cause it was easier. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I found what it was. Uh, it is, a, it is a component of groupthink. Um, it's, uh, the point about decision-making. So uh, group decisions suffer from ambiguous responsibility in an individual decision. It's clear who's accountable for the final outcome in a group decision. The responsibility of any single member is watered down. Mm. It's kind of like the rice to the barbecue. It's like, Oh, I'm not going to bring the rice. Somebody else will. Then nobody brings yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I've never heard of the rice to the barbecue, but I mean, that's a great example. Yeah. Right. Like the easiest thing or to bring. So you don't bring it. Somebody else will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i think this happens a lot more than people realize you know and this is present in my in the company that's managing my apartment you know it's like oh you know we're not gonna we're not gonna 
not have the building connected and not have it set up to the internet grid by the time all these people move in. I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, we might be a little bit behind for where we need to be, but that's not going to happen. Somebody above me will come in or somebody else here or somebody else that is a part of this group or team that is working on these, these, these condos will get it done. Right. I don't need to work like, you know, 70 hours this week or whatever to get it done myself. Somebody else will do it. Well, this is also just another aspect of, you know, having a clear mission statement or just a clear objective. Like, like one of the big things that I try and instill in my employees is that, Hey guys, like we're a student painting company. So we're instantly at a disadvantage in people's eyes. So like we need to break that stigma and prove to these clients that we're a professional company. How do you, how do you think, do you actually think student painting companies are at a disadvantage? I, I'll answer that if you won't. John. I think I think I, I think I I think I used the wrong word there, but like uh, the what I definitely used the wrong word. Let me let me. They're they're like there. stigmatized in a sense, of, in, in one shape or way, shape or form. I think just around. Yeah, like, I, 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 I Amber, good point. I didn't mean to use the word disadvantage, but um, mm-hmm. I try and instill in my employees, hey guys, like our clients like are all are going to keep a close eye because they kind of half expect us not to do a good job. Oh, okay. Because we're students. Yeah. 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 So like what's, what's below their minds, like let's really prove to them that we're a professional company that can, that can deliver a high quality of service, but also high workmanship. Right. And so my guys get behind that because like, they don't want to let the client down. Right. I mean, there's ways of incentivizing humans as well. I mean, of course, like having reference letters, you can get bonuses. I mean, Another thing too is like, obviously you can tell your employees like, Hey, like the better job you do, the more likely you are to get a tip. And if that's true, then they'll probably do better jobs. Right. So have the actual like incentives as well. Um, but one of the biggest incentives is actually just holding the people accountable um, to, to, to poor results. So for example, one of the biggest mistakes I think contractors make is that they don't hold their sub trades or their employees liable for poor workmanship. So if, if there's touch-ups, guess who's going back with no pay the person who fucked it up right so if 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 you have a sub trade who does shoddy work and you do a 10 percent hold back until the client signs off on it guess what he's probably not going to do shoddy work or if there is he's going back right yeah writing that down too this is good. Don't rely, but, but I, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I don't like to rely on humans just performing at a high level or doing the ethical thing. I like to, I like to have incentives. I like to have things in place that actually incentivize them to do it. I don't think that just relying on people's morality is the right move. Well, well, yeah, because that's so complicated and they have such a different backstory and what they think is morality is maybe different from you and them. So yeah, having a system that just uh, sort of funnels their decision-making makes it, uh, definitely makes it easy. So, so John, tell me with that being said, where are you right now with your business? How are you doing? Give us some numbers. Today's uh, September 6th. So where are you at? I'm at $675,000 in production nice. and $750,000 in sales. Boom. Are wow. you still selling? Yes. I have six appointments set up for this current week. Are you still marketing as much as you were marketing in April? 
or uh... yeah actually this is this is actually an interesting point so okay so no i'm not um dollar wise but yes percentage wise because like now that i have less employees for the fall i don't have as high demand for work does that if that makes sense so it's an interesting point because I kind of thought about this. I was like, you know, I wonder if one of the reasons why, cause like it's, it's kind of like one of these precepts that were like contractors just say, Oh yeah, there's not as much work in the fall. And I thought to myself, that's just actually just bullshit because there's actually just a, I mean, is there, is there a less amount of work completed? Sure. But who's to say that you can't capture more of that market because, yeah. because I think what really happens is people just spend less on marketing. I think that my competitors be like, Oh yeah, the, the, the fall, the fall is slow. And then they all just turn off their marketing. Yeah. I, I see that. What if, what if I think, I mean, this year I'm just, I wasn't quite as positioned as I wanted to um, employee wise. I'm definitely where I want to be now, but I'm not, I'm disappointed in myself because I, was not, I did not competently handle the hiring situation this year. And this is one of the situations where I was ill prepared because I did not foresee the hiring of this fall to be as difficult as it was, but that's not a failure of like, that's not me. Like, cause like, it's easy to be like, Oh yeah, well, you know, it's cause of serve. It's cause of, it's cause of whatever it's cause of the government. It's cause of, you know, people don't need jobs, blah, 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 blah. Ultimately I didn't assess the, the situation accurately enough. And, and prepare myself and make accurate predictions of what, how much work I'd, and how much money I'd have to put into recruiting. Okay. But I'm disappointed because I'm not, I think that definitely next year, I'm going to learn from this mistake, right? And I'm, I'm going to be more prepared, prepared next year. But I think that next year I'm going to get super greedy in the fall. I'm going to try and have even more employees in the fall because if you think about it, it's like if all of my competitors just think that it's slow season, they all turn off their marketing. What if I turned mine up? Would I not just capture a larger, larger market share? Maybe my prediction's wrong, but I'd like to see the gamble. Amber, well, what do you think? Yeah, well, why are you saying next year? We haven't even entered the fall. Fall starts on September 22nd. I mean, why not just do this this year? No, no, I'm, I'm going to take advantage of it as much as I possibly can. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, 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 don't get me wrong. I'm going to try and take advantage of this as best I can. I mean, you know, like I'm, I'm still trying to hire more people. I actually just rehired someone that used to work for me a couple of years ago nice. because he, you know, he's out of work and he was, he's actually an excellent sprayer and I've had a huge demand for spray jobs in the fall. So it's going to be allowing me to pick up some more spray jobs. I'm definitely making moves. Don't get me wrong. I'm trying to, you know, do the best with what I have, but next year I'm realizing how much better of an opportunity the fall is than I had thought it was previously. Like I allowed myself to be weak, like my competitors. Mm. I just, got into that mindset of, Hey guys, slow season, the fall, man, this is the way it goes. Yeah. No work in the fall. Yeah. It's crazy how much that is a thing in this work line of work, especially no, in Canada. It, it, it actually isn't logical at all. Like why would people, oh, it's definitely not, not. I mean, there's definitely less exterior work because hello, we're in Canada, snow hits the ground, but, but to think that there's just like, you can't do as much work. That's just nonsense. Right. You can just take work from your competitors, which is what you're doing in the summer anyways. Right. Hmm. <laughs> this is good. Yeah. The fall so? fallacy. Think, That's literally the fall no, it, fallacy. Don't you think? Well, I mean, I, I'm thinking, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, right? I mean, you know, I think stats wise, I mean, of course there's less work in the fall, but I, I don't think that it needs, I think the, the true fallacy is not that there's less work. I think that's actually accurate. Okay. Like there's definitely less painting done in the fall. Okay. Well, actually, I, I don't even know. I mean, I don't actually have any stats. What am I just making this shit up? But it seems to be that it just by thinking about it reasonably. Okay that there would be less work. 
but I think the true fallacy is, is that I wouldn't get more work. Yeah, I, I think the distinction that I see here that I'm writing down is that there is less work, but not less opportunity. Okay, yeah, there you go. Matter of fact, it might even be more opportunity because if you think about it, the jobs no, might be right. less there is competitive. The, no, but hold on. But it's interesting because there actually might be more work um, if you look at it from a um, from a customer acquisition cost. Because if you think about it, like if it was say a job in the summer cost $150 to acquire because you know, it's just more competitive. There's more advertisers. Well, what if the customer acquisition in the, in the fall is 50 bucks? Cause there's just way less advertisers competing for those, um, uh, consumers, uh, attention, right? So therefore for the same 150 bucks, you'd actually get more work. So you'd actually, if you look at it that way, there's actually more work in the fall per dollar of advertising than there is in the summer. So I have some stats on that. And unfortunately, uh, it's a bit off. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Usually the acquisition of a lead in the painting industry through Google ads would cost around 20 bucks per lead. And in the, you know, in June, it might cost you $7, $9 per lead. And then in November and October, it might cost you like 30 bucks, $35. So, yeah, so, so, so Amber, Amber, what, Amber hold on. I, I really got to make this point. Amber, the, yeah. I did actually, I strategically did not use cost per lead. I strategically used customer acquisition, acquisition cost, which is yeah. after, which is a massive difference because yes, leads are cheaper, but they're also more competitive. So your actual dollars, uh, your actual revenue per lead is lower in the summer than it like it is in the rest of the year. So that's why I sp specifically said customer acquisition cost, the cost of acquiring an actual customer, not a lead. Yeah. Damn. I don't know if the numbers are that different, but just want yeah. to point that out. That's what I was going to clarify. That's what I was trying okay. to jump in. Yeah. Okay. Okay. My because the, no, I just, Jeez. You said exactly what I was going to say. The the cost of, of acquiring, like every estimate I do as of September 1st is um, there's not even a question about whether or not they're signing. Dude, 100%. I feel mm. the same way. Every time I do a quote, like if I like if someone calls me in June, they're like, hey, man, we're thinking about doing some painting. They got five other. September like, is the best month for that. It's not yeah, even funny. Dude, totally. September, because there's this effect where it's people, and this is maybe a story I'm telling myself, but I see Limited this. supply. Well, they know they're behind. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. So, so they know they're, like, when, when people come to the table with projects to be completed in April, they're like, I get to shop for contractors, mm -hmm. right? Now they're late to the game in September and October, and they're like, can you help me out? Oh, dude, I have <laughs> and, the perfect example. Dude, dude yeah. oh my God. I me and my this. friends, yes. we used to go to the bar, like, very late. Like at oh, 12, no, no. Like, oh, like at don't midnight. Don't make this a Toronto man. No, listen, thing, listen, man. listen, oh, listen. But, but you'd go to the bar and, you, and you'd ask, you know, do you guys- Emmer rolls up with his boys at 2 a.m. Like, all right, who's left? Fuck, let's go. So you would ask, you know, you'd ask the waitress, you know, uh, do you guys have wings? Like, no, we're actually out of wings. Do you have fries? No, we're out of fries, but we can put together, you know, no cauliflower dipped in this stuff, which you would never order. But because we came in last, we would never complain and we would buy that food. Oh, yeah. So it's like, it's, I think it's like the same exact thing. Or you go to an ice cream I thought you were going somewhere way different with no, that. No, 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 no. I, I thought, uh, Amara, I thought you were going to say that like all the, um, the females have a more of a sense that's of urgency to go home with a no, man. No, no, that's no, what no, I thought no, it was no, no. I'm not even. No, but, no, but, um, but Austin, that's a really interesting point that you make because the fall has this actually very unique perspective because it's actually just it's it's actually just there's no there's no logic really to it for the yeah. most part but 
clients just have this perceived like, oh, like I have to get it done in 2020. And so like, there's actually just a, a, a built in urgency of booking at the time of the estimate, because like, like it was what you said in April, if they don't book with you in April, they know they can book with you in June, May, whatever. Right. Oh, yeah. But in the fall, there's a built in mechanism of, Hey, um, you know, there's urgency to it. But one of the fascinating things is that a lot of my competitors are actually fully booked right now. Mm. And so I'm noticing this trend. I'm like, fuck, like, I wish I had, you know, been prepared. Right. But so next year, I know that by having over, by being overstaffed for the fall, I know that I'll be able to pick up all the jobs that my um, competitors will have to turn away because they think the fall is slow. So they, they don't prepare. They don't, they don't do hiring and no painting companies. I, I mean, I'm making this up, but I imagine a lot of my competitors because of this limiting belief they have don't go out and hire a lot of painters at the end of the summer because they think, Oh, it's slow season. Hell, it might even be the greatest opportunity to pick up employees because they start laying their guys off and you're just, you're just booking the work and picking up their employees that are, they're almost doing the free training program. My competitors are almost going to train all my painters next year for me. Jeez. I don't know. I mean, I'm getting hyped because I just feel like it's a really good opportunity and it's definitely something that, uh, but think about it, but I mean, Amber, please bring this home because there's probably so many opportunities just like this that are right there in front of my eyes and I just don't even see them. Right. Um, it, like, like, in life, like this is or not even just in life, but just in contracting. I mean, think about how many times, like how many of my competitors, for example, don't know that door knocking in January is like a gold mine. No, 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 John, you have to take a step back. You know how many contractors just don't do door knocking period. Like it's actually insane. People think door knocking is like this expired interesting like, hey because they just think it's dead yeah and so oh my goodness man i oh you just opened pandora's box here i have the, the perfect example uh, here. <gasps> hold on can i hold on do you think can do i you interject think? Oh, okay, yeah, okay okay yeah. okay this is so fascinating okay so um oh, this is so interesting okay so rommel okay um in in north africa so he had like used like the blitzkrieg technique of like you know just like bursting through the line he captured like most of like a good portion of north africa from the british the British then like took most of it back um, later, later in the, the following year. But the thing is the British didn't know how weak Rommel was and how vulnerable he was, but he had sort of like this aura about him of being like a very tactical person. And so I actually have a secondary story I want to tell after this one. Um, and so uh, Rommel had like kind of did like an offensive that actually wasn't going to work, but the British were so fearful it was going to work. They ended up retreating. And so they actually pulled all of their troops out of the area thinking that, you know, they were going to lose, not knowing that they hundred percent would have won because yeah. they just had this limiting belief that they couldn't win. Now, the, the second thing I want to say, dude, the second thing I want to say is um, this, this is all a kind of a reputation thing. So it's not quite the perfect analogy, but there was this guy in, um, in China who uh, in feudal Japan or yeah, feudal China, who was like known as the ultimate trickster, right? He was just seen as the ultimate, um, can you guys still hear me? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, he was seen as the ultimate trickster. So he was like, everyone just knew he was super Machiavellian. He could always, he, he could slip out of anything. Okay. Well, there's this one time where he found himself in a castle with only 12 men against 30,000, an army of 30,000. Okay. <gasps> and, and so he thought to himself, how the fuck am I getting out of this? Right. So what he did is he went up to the top of the castle at the very peak and he sat there and started meditating. 
And so the army of 30,000, they show up and they see him at the top of this castle meditating by himself with no soldiers around him, nothing. And every, there's no one around. And they're like, oh, this must be a trap. So they left. Mm. They just figured that this guy had some sort of trap. Yeah. When in reality, he was literally had 12 men. He was on top of the tower. And that's the power of limited beliefs, right? Yeah. Where's that story from? I've heard that before. Was that in Musashi? I'll tell there's a, there's an aspect of it, but I'll tell you right now, um, which I don't know. Did we announce the, the, the strategic book giveaway that I was doing? Uh, yes. I was, we did. I think we did. I think we did. Just say it again in case. Why should you forget how you qualify for it? Oh yeah. Yeah. If you, okay. So yeah, we're going to just do it right now because that story is in one of the books that I'm going to give away. So if you, well, it's in the 48 laws of power. Okay. Um, by Robert Greene. So if you like our, actually, I don't know what the, the symbols are. Austin, what is it? I don't know the social media that well. You have to do something on our LinkedIn, something on our Instagram. And so you would have to share the post on your story, tag us and uh, comment on your share any post. It. Yeah. Share any episode. Share, share any, your favorite episode. Share your favorite episode. Well, well, the contest itself is the post that they're sharing. So they would have to share the post that we make about the contest to their story, tag us, and also like and, and comment on the photo. Or just the comment uh, for two other friends. Sorry, tag people. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you have to tag, tag two other yeah. people. Yeah. If yeah, you do that, sure. okay, we will randomly select one of the one person who has done that, and I will be sending them a copy one of the mystery book that I have not announced that I've been reading over the last month that I've been studying. Okay, it's an epic book, a copy of the Forty Eight Laws of Power a copy of The Art of War by Sun Tzu, and a copy of The Prince by Nikolai Machiavelli. Mm. Wow, Ship I want to enter in this. Jeez. This is, well, like, this, is like a, this is like $100 oh, yeah. worth of books. Well, yeah. And it's the top four books that I would say that everyone should read if they want to be a strategic business person mm-hmm. or just or a strategic person in life. So four, it's the four books that I'm reading all the time. Yeah. I need to read and that story, books. Amr, is by – that, that story I told is in um, – is in uh in the 48 laws of power yeah it sounds sounds very familiar so i probably read it there it's a great story it's a great story Mm. but yeah what i was the the point that i was gonna make was very small but it was just about how like door-to-door is so um underestimated and it's because of this phenomena that happens when somebody starts like a new trade business so you know people have an idea to start like a business and it's, you know, they go ahead and then they start doing research and planning and then it's time to take action. And then, boom, they just kind of disappear into a black hole where they're worrying about like all these different things. So, you know, people get to this stage of their business and then they disappear and they get sucked into the black hole of like Google ads, business cards, fancy websites, social media accounts. They got to have a Twitter, a Facebook, an Instagram and then they try to manage all these things like a full-time job. Um, then they try to get the perfect website with fancy before and after photos on it. And like a, a, a sick truck that's like pimped you out. You guys want to know the funniest one I used to do? Mm. This is so embarrassing to even say. I used to go to the mall. I used to go into stores. I used to chat with the employees. I used to window shop. I used to try on clothes. I used to try on watches. And I would just go. I would do that. 
rather than doing the stuff I needed to do to grow my business, I would just go to the mall and act like a hotshot. I'd go and try on watches I couldn't afford. This is so embarrassing. And uh, I, I remember just being such a tool. Like I would like the one guy, like if you're trying to watch and you'd be like, so what do you do for work? Like how, like you're here like all the time. Like why, you know, why, like what, what allows you to be like, you know, at oh, the mall all the time at 10 a.m. I'm like, oh, I'm a business owner, man. I own a painting company, you know, how it is, man. I just, you know, I just shop all day. Just, you know, kind of do my thing. It's pretty passive income, right? Total full of shit. <laughs> but so I deceived fun. myself into thinking that's next I was level. productive. That's next level. That's like one of the dude, things but, in the black hole that people can do. But dude, you know how many employees in. fucking, or sorry, you know how many um, business owners do that shit where they just slide into these things like of being productive, but they're just not? They trick themselves into being productive, but in reality, all they're doing is creating things that are very easy to do that yeah. aren't productive. Yeah. Because they're too scared to do the shit. Like how many people, for example, Amr, how many people of your clients or people you know have created bullshit things they need to do, like tasks, rather than picking up the phone and calling their clients? Oh, it, it, it's it's huge. A hundred percent. Everyone huge. has done it at least once in their in their entrepreneurship career. They've made up something of, oh, I got to make this checklist. I've got to do this. I got to do that. Yeah. I got disappointment, whatever. But I got meetings. One of the things we talk about, about like the, remember a, a couple of episodes ago, I mentioned, mentioned in my accredited advice, the failure uniform. And one of them is talking to other people and other business owners versus doing the work. Because here's what's dangerous about that. Talking to other business owners just checks off all the right boxes in your brain you feel good you feel important um you're not taking much action you're just talking about the things you're gonna do and then you you hang up the phone and you end up feeling good but guess what nothing happened so it's like even worse than going to the shopping mall and 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 the watches and stuff so uh yeah that's just part of the failure uniform that you can accidentally put on when you're running a business so totally agree with you there john it's, it's pretty it's pretty crazy and uh the other things we see in, in the black hole it's like fancy logos designs like it just keeps going on it's just like technology versus like making it goes even beyond that though because one of my favorite things is to see my competitors driving lifted trucks they got true, true, rather than their painter clothes or rather than a professional uniform, they got true religion jeans on, right? They start wearing their personal clothes. They start wearing all the stuff they think that makes them look cool. Lifted trucks, right? Stupid logos, all that stuff. All I'm thinking is this guy living at large. One thing we actually talk about in our course is that you're not allowed to tell your friends or family that you have a business unless you make a sale. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I'm actually writing that down here so I can emphasize it. Cause I got caught in that trap. It's like, I would, I would go around and tell my friends like, Oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. But I think, I think people should be banned from being allowed to say that unless they make a sale. Well, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, cause Trisha, actually, we kind of talked about this today. Trisha was like, like, she's like, what do you call yourself? Like, what, like, what, like, do you have a career? Like, what is like, you know, what, are, like, what are you? And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, well, like, are you like a painter? Like are you a business owner? Like are you an entrepreneur? Like, what would you like, what would be your title? I'm like, I'm like, I don't care. Like, I've never even thought about it. It's mm. completely irrelevant. Yeah. I was thinking about that the other I'm day like, too. I'm, I'm like, what are you? Makes money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
yeah like somebody asked me that too like what do you do and i was like damn it like so many people that i know like if you were to ask my friends and my family like what does austin do they'd be like I think he paints <laughs> and I, and the, like for the longest time, that's just driven me nuts. I'm like, uh, no, it's not what I do. My grandmother still uh, thinks I work a summer job. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> Dude, she doesn't even know. <laughs> Yeah. John's just doing his thing with his summer thing, you know. Yeah. One yeah. day he'll oh, come like, around and she's visit. She's like, "Oh, how many more summers are you allowed to do that? Like, are they like, you know, like do they like, you know, like how like you know, is the company still around?" I'm like, "Yeah." I'm like, "I'm like Lulu." So, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. When are you gonna oh, get a job? Yeah. Well, my favorite is when a client says that they're like, "Oh yeah, like when are you gonna go get a job in the real world?" I'm like, "I don't know." I'm like, "I never really want to join the real world." And they're like, "Yeah, I, I felt that way too." But you know, you got to put in your hours. You got to put in your. You know, I'm like, "Oh yeah, no, I, I feel you, man." Meanwhile, in the back of my mind, like, oh, no. never. Yeah. 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 No. Oh, actually, hold on. I got to bring this up too. So, Trish and I were, um, Trish made this comment <laughs> today and it kind of just came out of my mouth afterwards. She's like, wow. She's like, because there was these horses at Stanley Park and they just like looked miserable. They're like just sitting there waiting, like basically, like to pull this fucking carriage, like another, like, you know, 10 kilometers. You know, they just, I don't know how many loops they're doing, right? And they're just waiting there in the stall and they're just, they look miserable, right? And she's like, wow, that's so sad. Like, look at those horses. Like, they have no freedom. They're just doing their thing. And I said, I'm like, how is that any different than like seeing someone work at Walmart? Ooh. Like, they're Ooh. both animals and they're both doing some shit thing they don't want to do, but they got to do it because they're basically a fucking slave to the machine, right? Disclaimer yeah. humans aren't animals. You know, humans the, are animals. No, no, no. The people that work at Walmart are not animals. No, no, but they're an animal they're in the same way that I am. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. No, but right. just to make John's, just to bring John's point home, like I actually had a similar, on that note, like a similar realization. Uh, I used to work in a grocery store for three years during the summer, uh, two last years of high school, and then the two years I was in Sejep, I think. So it might have been four years. Uh, and I worked in, um, like the like the deli counter right slicing meat and Oof. yeah man and if you want to talk about condescension that is where that takes place like hey karen's hey pigeon i'll take a i'll take a pound of bologna sliced thick nope that's too thin they're just behind you like nope nope that's too thin you know and you're just standing there and you're just like man i want to turn this around and just whip this piece of bologna at your face i um but then you realize uh, that afterwards right like now that i've been running this business for next year will be the fourth year and now the second year of coaching other people on how to do it themselves that you realize that everything you do in a day you actually want to do so when you wake up and you call your clients to set up or call a lead to set up an estimate or call a client to schedule in a um a job or to call one of your the people you know business owners that you're coaching it's all responsibilities that you have to other people to to deliver value that you want to, to deliver right and when i was in the grocery store the other day i walked past the deli counter and there was a few a few young guys in there and i remember just you know i was just like man i could never mm. ever picture and like i could see they obviously just didn't want to be there and no no blame mm. on them like i totally it was there and you kind of just think like, man, there's never a part of me that would ever want to do that ever again. And it's just, 
it's just, it's almost like it's a different, they both make money technically, right? Regardless of the amount, they both make money, but it's almost just seems like one isn't a job. One of them's like a sentence, you know, one of them's like a, it, it's, it sounds a little bit extreme, I guess you could say, but I just, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of what I thought. And, and similar in line with you, like just to make it a little bit more <laughs> centralized around the idea of a real job and not comparing people that work at Walmart to horses. But uh, <laughs> like that was pretty savage. But, well, straight up though. I mean, yeah, I know, but I always think about the economics of it too. I mean, uh, somebody like... It's all mindset, it, man. Maybe that's, yeah. No, it no, is, but yeah. some horses, hold on, some horses are in the Kentucky Derby, okay? And some are wild and some are doing whatever, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. John, but they don't get to Okay, how would you respond to this listener who's like, well, hold on, John. Not many people are as privileged as we are where we were approached by a mentor or approached with an opportunity and had the right mindset and the right tools to take on that um, opportunity and had the financial backing or, or the, the mental whatever. You know how you know, some people no matter what they you show them they can't leave that job because they're stuck what would you say well you know it's tough right it's tough because you know you have to um you know and some people get so obsessed with this about like what percentage of their success is based on luck and what percentage is of theirs to control okay one thing that i think and amma correct me if i'm wrong the percentage is absolutely does not matter if I can control 1% or 80% or 30% or 50% of my destiny based on my actions, like in, in my conscious choices, and it's not luck, it don't matter if it's 1%, 30%, 50%, there's some aspect of my life that I can control. Okay. That's my portion of it. Okay. The rest of it, as, as, as Sun Tzu would say, right. God willing, right. Hmm. The rest of it's heaven and earth, right. You can't control whether it rains the day that you go to battle. Okay, but you can control how prepared you are. I used to work at Wendy's. It's the only job I've ever had. I worked at Wendy's, man. I used to work the night shift. I used to, I used to work until 2 a.m. Matter of fact, a point on that. No one told me anything, okay? This was of my own device. We used to close. Okay, when I first started at Wendy's, that store didn't used to – so they changed the hours, but it used to take, okay – used to take two hours for them to do all of the cleanup and all of the stuff to close down the, the Wendy's. Okay. Two hours. Two hours. Yeah. When I oh. showed up there, that's how long it took. I remember working the night shift the first time it took to clean all the grills, all the stuff. It took two hours. By the time I left there. Okay. My buddy, Sean and I, okay. Shout out to Sean Gordon. This guy was a fucking savage. We used to close <laughs> the store within five minutes of us locking the door. We left the back door. And it was pristine clean. Every dish was put away. The grill was spotless. I mean, I treated that grill like it was my, like it was like my baby. Five minutes. Was it because you were cleaning throughout the, so, the, the night? So you say, you can call it luck, but I, some people say, oh, it's luck because John is now right, running this, this, this $750,000 business. I say I was running a $750,000 business mindset back when I cleaned that grill and, cl- and shut that shop down when I was working Wendy's five minutes we closed how, it how, so how? some people say explain yeah but no but people think that it's like oh well john has a great mindset because he's now successful it's like no 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 no. i'm successful because i had a great mindset 
Mm. If you can't, if you can't perform at Wendy's, you're not, dude, no one's going to give you the opportunity to perform at this level. Right. Like, do you think like if I was a shithead at Wendy's, do you think Corey would have hired me? No, Corey saw something in me. Right. When I told him the story, when I worked at Wendy's, I did this one thing that saved the company thousands of dollars. And if you go to any Wendy's in Kelowna, this is still, this is still a part of of their systems, or at least it should be. It, It was, it was a simple thing. And it was an observation I made as an employee. Did I make any money from it? No, but I, cause I cared. What happened was, so when you serve a Frosty, and this, this, this is going to sound so random, but when you serve a Frosty someone, I made this observation that the, the, the current systems were you, you uh, go to the thing, fill it up, put a lid on top, and then you put the spoon through where the straw would go, okay? And then you'd give it to them, and then the same thing would happen every single time. They would take the lid off, they'd throw it in the trash, and they'd take the spoon and start eating the Frosty every time without exception. Or they start, or they eat their fries with the with the frosty. So I started saying, hmm, let me just ask. So I asked people. I said, hey, do you want a lid with that, or are you gonna eat it right away? No, I'm just gonna eat it right away. No worries. Every time I asked that one question, took less than a second. I saved the company one penny for the lid. You multiply that by how many frosties we sold. I did the math. It was like a thousand dollars a month in lids. Wow. Okay, understood. Is that luck? No, but there's no, but, but some people's attitude is, oh, this is a shit job. I'm better than this. Really? You're not going to be better than working at Wendy's until you've outgrown it. That's a really good point, John. I think that's a great no, but this way is, to sum up. But this no, is, no, because you, what, what you said earlier didn't sound like you're, it sounded like everybody should be too good for working there. Right. And now you're no, kind you have of to earn it. Yes. No, no. I, I like it. Well, hold on. I actually, this is such a fucking important point that I want to make though. So this is, this is actually, this is the superiority bias. This is a part of human nature. And that's why everyone listening to this podcast, including myself, when I re-listen to this, I'm going to thank you for repeating this. Everyone thinks that they're just born a certain way. They're just, they, they're just, they're superior. This, I mean, we've mentioned this how many times? If you ask a group of people if they're above average, they all say they're above average. If you ask mm. 100 business people who's going to make 200 grand, they all say I'm going to make 200 grand. If you ask a Wendy's employer, are you better than Wendy's? They all say yes. If you ask you know, someone who's the fastest, everyone thinks they're the fastest runner. Everyone thinks they're going to be rookie of the year. Everyone thinks they're going to be franchisee of the year. Everyone thinks they're superior. I hate to break it to you, but you're not fucking special, including myself. You earn all of that. Just because you're born with a name John Morgan III doesn't make you a $750,000 franchisee. Just because you're Amr Abu Chakra, okay? Guess what? Baby Chakra, same blood. Has he done $500,000? No, he's got to earn that shit. Yeah. There's no entitlement. Yeah. Literally all of it is earned. Yeah. That's amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to wrap up right there. Like you mull yeah, about we're that. Yeah, wrap it right that's, there. That's beautiful. And that's uh, the other way to, to know it. Instead of the su- superior fallacy, it's the uh, the protagonist fallacy. Everybody's the protagonist. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, <laughs> there was this guy. I got, This is so ridiculous. There was this guy. Where I'm downtown, and uh, there's this guy, and he's just shouting and hollering, like going down the street, like 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 just, just like making an absurd amount of noise, just clearly trying to get attention to himself. And the guy next to me, okay, I don't know this guy. He said the most like, clear line. He's like, that guy, he's like, it's his world and we're all just people in it. Mm-hmm. I think that's from a movie. It's your Is world, it? oh. pal. We're just living in it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the line he said. That's what he. Yeah. Oh, that. Oh, that's what. Is that a line from a movie? Okay, because yeah, I, yes. I didn't know that. Okay, so when he said that, I thought to myself, "Fuck, that's like the most like, like, accurate description of narcissism." Hmm. Yeah. We're. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. We're just characters in your story. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to another episode of the Weekly Call, Austin. Anything else to wrap it up? Yeah. Before we wrap it up, I did have a commitment to our listeners that were following along in. Um, in, in my four steps for starting back up online this semester, the last step very fast. Mm. I'm not going to ramble on here. Mm. It is very important though. There's a four step program to getting back to school online. So the, just to quickly recap, the first things were create a weekly call with people in your network that are going to be in your class, uh, build a nest in your living space where you are to strictly be able to work on school in that one space. The third thing was set up a zoom meeting with your prof, which I talked about last week. That's really important. And then this week is you have all your syllabi by now, your syllabus, all of that. Uh, If you don't have it this week, you will have it next week because this will come out after the first week of class. So you should have all your syllabus. Sit down, take an hour, go through all of your course syllabuses or syllabi, whatever the correct plural term is there, and, and plan out exactly when each assignment and exam is. And that sounds really stupid and simple, but it's going to be even easier to take advantage of that now that we're so online. There's no travel. There's no, there's going to be no changes to the program, really. It's just, you know what you need to do going into each week. So when you have the chance to say, okay, look, you lay out your schedule. I, I'm taking two classes and doing my thesis. So around my thesis, I have to say, okay, well, are there any weeks where I have like a midterm and two assignments due? Right. Like I need to know when I need to know that coming up like two months beforehand. Right. So I need to know like should prepare. It sounds like I am, John. Yeah, it sounds like uh, it sounds like I'm saying we should be uh, not discounting the future of our academic success. Uh, but it's is preparing to fail. Yeah. So, but I'm just saying that when you plan out all your assignments, you know, this semester, guys, literally has the potential to be the easiest thing you've ever done in academia. Like, you're not leaving your house. I mean if you have everything scheduled in like, Oh, the week of October 6th, I have a midterm. I'm going to start studying for that on September 18th. And then I study for, you know, three hours a week for four weeks. And I, and I'm completely, you know, it's just, it's so more calculatable now. It's just, it, it, Hold on, Amber. it's almost too no, no, easy. Amber. Yeah. Austin. Yeah. Is this an aspect of really discounting? Like I'm not trying to just randomly bring this in, but I'm, I no, mean, no, it is. is it, it? No, no, no. Is it true that, but, is it true that it's is it totally discounting that people tend to think that their future efforts will be greater than they actually are like they think like it, like an aspect of procrastination of like okay i'm not gonna prepare now because like i totally could but i just whatever but i'll easily be able to do it later is that them discounting the future efforts of themselves 100 percent. yeah that's like yeah, discounting okay. that's discounting the uh immediate uh, the it's discounting the value you'd get right now from taking immediate action, even though it's preemptive and before. Cause it's clearly a fallacy, right? Cause I mean, if you're not going to take action now, what makes you think you're going to be the person to take action in the future? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that's been it guys. I mean, my four steps for getting back to school is pretty straightforward. It's, it's uh, you know, I'm going to get, um, you know, Larson will probably be releasing a post on this in the coming weeks once we've all been back to school and we haven't talked about it for a few weeks just to recap this, but the four steps, uh, as I said, we're, you know, creating a weekly call with people in your network, making sure you have a spot where you're living to strictly work on school and nothing else, setting up a zoom meeting with your professor and planning out the whole, sil- the whole syllabus this week, right? Like this is coming out on the Monday of the second week of class. This week is the last possible date that you can be doing this, right? If you don't do this, I promise you, you will not be 100% stoked with your GPA. 
I, I, I can guarantee it. Uh, this semester can either be the hardest or the easiest one you've ever had. It really just depends how prepared you are. And I think that's so on brand with the, with the initiatives of this episode. Uh, so yeah, Beautiful. let's, let's uh, call it here. Uh, we have a commitment to wrap this up by a certain time for John. John was uh, kindly able to squeeze in tonight, even though he had a ton of other things going on. So always appreciate John's accountability. And, and, uh, and as Amber said earlier, I'm sure that expresses itself in, in many other areas. Um, to wrap up on a quote from, uh, from a good friend of us all, Chris Thompson, that I've always learned from him is what's present in one area of your life is present in all areas of your life. So that is, Boom. Uh, I think what's, what's thank you for listening, like, ladies and yeah. gentlemen. Yeah. Pleasure. Yeah. See you guys. Talk soon. Hey listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. As usual, you can find us on Instagram at the weekly call pod or through email at the weekly call pod at gmail.com for any questions or comments about any of our material and just to kind of pick our brain or even challenge us on a few things we said today. The intro and outro music was brought to you today by William Scott Thompson. You can find him on Spotify under that name. He has a lot of other great material on there that you can go listen to as well. Thanks so much for tuning in this week, guys. We'll see you soon.